Jesus. I love you. Jesus. Now turn to your neighbor and say you're not too bad either. All right, you guys can be seated. I am so glad to be with you today, worshiping Jesus, serving him, following him. Thanks if you're online. We love you. Um, I am ready to get after it today. This uh, particular text, we're in a series called The Gospel of John, and we've just been exploring this book that John wrote so that we would have some tools to lead people to Jesus. And, and as we've been studying and as we've been reading and, and, and working through the Gospel of John, uh, we, we've kind of noticed that some intensity is building. If you haven't noticed, as we've talked about the miracles, as we've talked about the moments, uh, as we've talked about Jesus, the stories, there's a tension building in the religious leaders. They're becoming more and more threatened about Jesus. And it's heading to a climactic confrontation in Jerusalem. And the story I'm going to share today is, is really... Uh, is really one of the critical moments that leads us um, to that place, to where the, the religious leaders really feel that they need to confront Jesus. It says in John 20, 31, this was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why we're studying the Gospel of John so that we would have tools to lead others to Jesus, because that is the mission of this church. This church's mission is to lead others to Jesus and to make disciples. Can you say amen? Can you type amen in the chat? I think you can. All right. So, hey, Mike Tyson uh, had a famous statement, and it was this. Everyone has a plan until I hit them square in the jaw. And then that plan goes outside the window. You know, everyone had a plan in 2020. People had some vacations planned. You had some jobs you thought you were going to do. Maybe you had some, some other plans, and, and, and then you got hit square in the jaw. We all did. And, and to some extent, we're kind of still getting hit square in the jaw. And I know what it's like to have a plan and have it go wrong. Anyone else here have had a plan? You had a really good plan. You thought it out, and then it just went terribly wrong. I remember when I was a teenager, <clears throat> junior in high school, I had a buddy. His name was Leslie. And Leslie was at 18, uh, a, a chain smoker. And I really hated the smell of tobacco. And we would have these all-night game nights where we would play Risk all night long. And, uh, and I remember I wanted to cure him of his tobacco habit. And so I, 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 you know, back then you could buy fireworks all over the place, you know. And I had, I had purchased what was called, maybe some of you remember these particular fireworks, they were called ladyfingers. And ladyfingers were like mini firecrackers. You guys remember those? Remember those? Like mini firecrackers. And the thing is, one night uh, we were playing Risk, and it was going to be an all-nighter. I wanted to cure Leslie of his uh, tobacco habit. So while he was gone upstairs, uh, we were in the basement, I embedded one of those lady fingers into his cigarette and then replaced it back in the pack. And all night long, as he's smoking, I am waiting for that thing to blow. Every time he lit his cigarette, you know, I'm kind of standing back just waiting, man. I'm going to cure him of this tobacco habit once and for all. 
Well, we kept playing. I, I had even forgotten, and he kept pulling out, you know, a cigarette, and I'd kind of wince back a little bit. And, and through the course of the night, I'd forgotten that I'd even placed the lady finger in there. And as it would turn out, he never, through the course of the night, picked out the one cigarette that had the lady finger in it. And so the next morning, <clears throat> we, you know, finished our risk game. We slept for two hours, and he went home. And I got a phone call. <laughs> Turns out he found the ladyfinger. He was driving near a cliff. And he's sitting there, he's driving, all of a sudden, boom, the thing blows. There's tobacco up his nose, back of his tonsils. There's tobacco everywhere. And he almost went off of the cliff. Yeah, this was a plan that went terribly, terribly wrong. I don't know if you've had a plan that's gone terribly wrong. Now, this is a silly plan, but seriously, have you had something where you've really thought it through and thought this, this is going to be a good idea to do this, and then it just goes terribly south? Well, in John chapter 11, there, there was a good plan. And, and I'm going to just tell you the story of, of John chapter 11. First of all, what you need to know is that sometimes people, events, circumstances, they interrupt our plans. We may have a plan, but then people get in the way, events get in the way, circumstances, pandemics, they get in the way, and then our plan goes terribly south. Jesus had some friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they lived in a town called Bethany. And Mary and Martha had a plan. In John chapter 11, we see this plan. What happens is their brother, Lazarus, he becomes sick. And what you need to know about Lazarus is that um, Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. My allergies are really kicking in today, so bear with me. So here's the deal. Lazarus gets sick. And Mary and Martha see that he's getting sick. And obviously, this is not just kind of a little sickness, a little illness, but he's getting seriously sick. And they get concerned that, that something's going to happen. And so they send word to Jesus that his friend, Lazarus, is sick. So Jesus tells his disciples, hey, Lazarus is sleeping. And they say, well, good, then he's going to wake up. And, and then Jesus says, well, no, he's actually, he's dead. And they say, well, we can't go back there because they want to kill you, Jesus. Because remember, the religious leaders are getting kind of tired of Jesus taking all of, you know, because some of the Pharisees are now actually believing in Jesus. So it's disrupting their whole power structure. And so there's actually a threat on Jesus, like a wanted poster, and so the disciples are concerned that if they go back to Bethany, which is near Jerusalem, that, that, that something's going to happen. As a matter of fact, Thomas says, if we go back there, we'll all die. But if you're going, we'll go with you. So they try to discourage him from going. Then Jesus talks about walking in the light. He says how important it is that you walk in the light. Or actually he says that you have the light inside you as you're walking in the darkness. Listen to that. That you have the light inside of you while you're walking in the darkness. And so they show up to, to Bethany. Eventually they get there. But when Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, it says he loves him 
And so he waits two days. Now, why does Jesus wait two days when he knows his friend Lazarus is sick? Well, it could be that the religious leaders are in Bethany, and they know that Jesus is going to come heal Lazarus because he's his friend, and they're waiting for him. I don't know, but Jesus waits two days, and in that two-day span, Lazarus dies. So Jesus shows up finally to Bethany, and Martha runs out to greet him. Mary stays in the house. She's just bitterly weeping and, and grieving the loss of her brother. But Martha runs out and said, Jesus, if only you'd gotten here earlier, Lazarus would still be alive. Jesus knows that Mary's in the house weeping, so he calls for her, and Mary comes out, and she says the same thing. If only you would have been here. If only, Jesus, you would have been here. If only you could have got here earlier, Lazarus would still be alive. And she's weeping. Mary's weeping, and, and those that were with her are weeping. And Jesus says, where, where have you laid him? And he says, well, he's in the tomb behind a, a stone. Jesus says, take me to him. But as he's walking, it says that he begins to weep. He begins to cry. When he sees Mary and he sees the other people weeping, he begins to weep as well. He told them to roll away the stone. And they said, hey, you don't understand. He's been in there for four days. If we roll away the stone, it's going to stink. They understand he's decaying. Jesus says, roll the stone away. He prays to his heavenly Father, and then he calls Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus comes out, and they take off the, the grave clothes that are on him. But I want, you to, I want you to hear what the plan was. Here's the plan. This is the plan. This is Mary and Martha's plan. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, what's odd about this plan? Behold, he whom you love is sick. This is not a bad plan. Mary and Martha, Jesus heals all kinds of strangers. A man born blind, he goes out of his way to go up into Samaria to talk to a Samaritan woman that he doesn't even know. Heals the lame, touches lepers, heals all kinds of people he doesn't even know. And so certainly, Lazarus, who is his friend, Jesus is going to heal. It's a unique encounter. This is not some unknown person. It's not a stranger asking for help. It's Lazarus, the one you love, a close friend. So this is not a bad plan. This is also the place where Jesus goes the most, Bethany. It's recorded that he goes to this house, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, more than any other place. And what's interesting about this is do they ever even mention Lazarus' name? No, they don't even say it's Lazarus who's sick. They just say it's the one whom you love. Lazarus and Jesus must have had some kind of incredible relationship that they didn't even have to identify his name. They just said, the one whom you love is sick. 
And what's interesting about this plan also, not only do they not mention his name, but they don't even ask him to heal him. Do you see anywhere in this plan where they say, come heal Lazarus? No, they don't. They just say, the one whom you love is sick. They don't even ask him to heal Lazarus because they know he will do it. They know all that Jesus needs to know is that Lazarus is sick and he will come and he will heal him. They had no doubt in their mind this plan would work. Except it didn't. It didn't work. And sometimes that's our story as well. Sometimes our plans don't work even though they make perfect sense to us. You see, there was a pause. There was the plan, and then there was a pause. There was that moment where Jesus heard that he was sick, but it says that he waited. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Wow, that's, is that the kind of love you want? <laughs> when you're sick? Oh, I love you so much, I'm going to wait over here for you to die. And yet... Jesus truly loved him. He truly loved him. And isn't it true that sometimes in our plans, when they don't work out like we think they're going to work out, and it seems like God is not there, maybe you're even here today and you can relate to this. I call it the purple haze. You guys Ever been on the purple haze? It's the slide water slide that when you get in, there's light. But then once you start in the purple haze, it's 400 feet of darkness until you come out the end. That's what it seems like sometimes when the plan that you think is so good, God doesn't seem to be working in that plan. And it goes dark. And it almost seems like God's not there. Where are you, God? I want to just share with you that sometimes in those moments when it's dark, those are the moments that God wants you to not be in love. And this is worthy of writing down. God does not want us to be in love with the feelings of being in love with him. God wants us to be in love with his nature and his character. And we often will not know what his character and his nature are if we're just following feelings. And so this is a moment where Mary and Martha are having to wrestle with their plan going south, where their plan is not 
working out like they wanted it to or like they believed it would work out. And maybe you felt that way. God, where are you? Where are you in this? Where are you? If, if only you would have showed up. In those two days, in those, that two-day space, you could have healed my relationship. In that two-day space, God, you, you, you could have healed me. In that two-day space, you could have brought my son back. In that two-day space, you could have given me a job. And yet, it seems as though God's not there. As a matter of fact, both Mary and Martha used the phrase, and this is the phrase that is so easy for all of us to use. It's called, if only. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only. Have you ever said that? If only. Man, I've said that a lot in my life. If only. I remember shortly after, uh, at the time my fiance died in a car accident, I must have said that phrase a hundred times. If only we hadn't gone to Spokane. If only she would have never met me. If only, God, you would have showed up. If only, if only, if only. God, if you'd have been here, my job would still be here. If only you would have been here, my relationship would still be intact. If only you'd have been here, I would overcome depression. If only, if only, if only. You know, I counsel a lot, and whenever I counsel, it seems like that question comes up a lot. If only. So what happens, church? What happens when we get hit square in the jaw? We learn a lot from this story. And the first thing we learn is this. Don't ask why, ask who. Don't ask why, ask who. It's so easy to say, why did this happen? You know, there are so many areas just in my own personal life that I still do not have the answer why? Why did it happen? You know, God is so big. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's immutable, unchanging. And there are things that we cannot grasp. We may never know why until eternity. But we can know who. We can believe that even though we don't know why, that God is still good, that he still loves us. Because whenever why is put on the table, that is way above my pay grade and all of yours as well. We just don't know. We cannot understand the eternal omniscience of God. It's not about the plan. It's about the man. It's about who God is. If we believe that God is good, then we will trust him. And right now, maybe you're questioning that. You're wrestling with that. Maybe your plan has gone south, 
and you're tempted to wrestle with if only and why, God wants you to know today that he is trustworthy, even if you do not know the answer why. See, before Jesus did anything in this moment, it was important that Martha believed who Jesus was. What we believe about God determines our outlook. Oh, listen to that. What you believe about God, what I believe about God, it determines our outlook. And if we don't believe that he is good, then it will affect our outlook on him. Your brother will rise again. Martha Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this, Martha? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. You see, before Jesus did anything, he says, what do you believe about me? It's in these moments when our plans go south that really forge who we believe in and how we look at God. Can we still look at him even though the world is crashing around us and say, God, you are good. Because God never promises a safe journey, only a safe landing. That's what he promises us. That we can take to the bank. That's why Jesus died. Not that our life would be pain-free and safe and perfect. It was that the landing would be safe. But in this life, we will have trials and pain and, and persecution. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Believe that. It's not about the plan. It's about the man. And then put your plans in his hands. At some point when that plan goes south, can you say to the Lord, God, I give it to you. I give my plan to you. I lay it in your hands and let it go and trust him. That's what he was getting at with Martha. Martha, who do you believe I am? Do you still believe, even though Lazarus is in this tomb. And even though you believe his body is decaying, do you still believe that I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah, that I am God incarnate? Do you still believe that? He says, are there 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Didn't I tell you that If you will believe in me, you will see God unveil his power. Look at this. If you believe in me, remember, it's not about why, it's about who. Not if you believe in your plan, but if you believe in me, if you believe I'm good, if you believe I'm still working, if you believe that, I will unveil my power. That's the question before all of us. Irregardless of getting hit square in the jaw and our plans going south, can you still put your plans in his hands? Can you still believe that God is good, that he is faithful, 
Because if you can, he will unveil his power. I don't know what that will look like in your life, but I know he is faithful and he is just and he is true and he is never going to break his promise and he will unveil his power if we believe that. Do you believe that? Online, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is good even when your plans don't seem to mesh up with who you think Jesus is? You know, there may be years where you're puzzled about how God is working. There may be months where you think, God, I don't see how you're working in this. I don't understand how this is all working together. You may even feel isolated. But if you believe that God is good, if you remain faithful, if you have faith in him, at the right point, he will unveil his power. The other day, I, I tweaked my back, and I went into Abundant Life, and Jake got me on the, the, the bed there. And, and has anyone else, when, has, have you ever had your neck put back in alignment? Anyone in here ever have that? They tell you to relax as they get ready to what it feels like is going to snap your neck, right? Is this just me? They say relax as they're, and you've seen this in movies, right, where they just, and you're done. And he says, now just relax. Okay, now get on the bed. Now just relax. And after I got done, he looked at me and he says, I give you an A plus in relaxing. I'm like, what? He goes, most people tense up whenever I, you know, get ready to crack their back or pop their neck. He says, you were absolutely perfectly relaxed. And I said, Jake, I trust you. I, 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 I trust you. It's called trust. You see, non-trust works against adjustment. Did you hear that? Non-trust works against adjustment. Do you trust God? Can you relax in his presence, even in the midst of pain, and trust that he is going to work it out he is going to do something. He is going to unveil his power somehow in your life. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Where was Mary? Now, Martha had come out. You know, she's a doer. She came out and she met Jesus and said, if only you'd been here. But where was Mary? Mary's still back in the house, just grieving, weeping. But Jesus knew she was there, and he called for her. He called for her to come. That's the heart of Jesus. He doesn't want you grieving alone. He doesn't want you weeping alone in your pain. He wants to call you to his side. He wants to be with you in your grief. I love that. And, of course, she came and, He's calling for you, so she heard that. She rose. She came to him. Jesus has invited you, sought after you, searched for you. He's called you to be at his table, just like he did with Mary. Now, Mary got there, and she says, guess what she said? She said the very same thing Martha said. If only you'd have been here, Lord. 
But the point is that Jesus wanted to grieve with her. He didn't want her grieving alone in a house. And maybe like Mary, maybe today you're overwhelmed with something. Maybe you feel God's let you down. Maybe you feel that maybe you're even mad at him or, or, or like me sometimes that it just seems like he's so distant from me. And yet, this text tells me that Jesus wants to grieve with us. He wants to invite us to the table. And that's, that's why we get to have communion today. Communion is Jesus reminding us that we're not stuck alone in our grief and in the pain of this world. That, that no, in fact, we're invited to the table. We're invited to his table. And, and, and no Jew would ever invite anyone to a table that they did not love and want to have a relationship with. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I invite you to just take out the element of communion. You got to be kind of careful as you open that top piece where the bread is and then the bottom to get to the, the grape juice. But isn't it interesting that Jesus chose a very physical act, a very physical act to remind us how much we're loved. Jesus could have said, you know, as he's sitting with the disciples at the Last Supper, you know, he could have said, hey, every week when you gather, recite these words to each other. He could have said, you know, pray for each other. He could have done a lot of things, but he didn't do any of those things. He chose a very physical thing to do. Like you're literally touching this. Jesus instituted something 2,000 years ago so that he could, through the ages, reach out and literally physically touch you. You see, communion today is Jesus, in a sense, embracing you physically. It is a physical reminder that Jesus came and lived a sinless life. He became man and endured all that we have to endure, sickness, disease, frailty, exhaustion, pain, betrayal. That's what this bread symbolizes. He took on humanity. And of course, the crushed grapes symbolized his sacrificial death where his blood was shed for you and me. It was as though Jesus lured the demonic hordes of hell into the tomb. He lured them in and then he defeated them so that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life.
And that's what this symbolizes today. It symbolizes that Jesus is calling you out of the house of grief and he's embracing you. And whatever pain you're enduring or feeling or whatever plan has gone south, this is a reminder that Jesus still loves you and he is good. As a matter of fact, when he saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he says he groaned and his spirit was troubled. And he says, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then it says that Jesus wept. I want you to know that Jesus loves your broken heart as much as he loves your unbroken heart, maybe even more. And if you come today and your heart is hurt and it's broken, Jesus is weeping with you today. Now, Jesus knew that he was going to raise, this is the crazy thing. Jesus knew that in five minutes he was going to call Lazarus out of the grave. Why is he weeping? Why is the God who knows it all, the eternal Jesus, why, knowing what he's going to do, does he weep? I'll tell you why. Because the God of eternity can weep with you and me here and now. Yeah, that's right. See, God may know that he's going to heal you in six months, but he can weep with you today. God may know that that relationship is going to be restored in 2022, but God can weep with you in 2021. God may know your son or daughter is going to come home in 2023, but he can cry with you today. That's the God that we serve. And so today, I want you to just take out this this element of bread. And feel it. Feel it in your hand. Jesus wanted something you could touch. He is reaching down throughout the ages and he is touching you now. Embracing you now. Weeping with you now. Because he loves you. Jesus, we thank you for this unleavened bread that we hold in our hands and in a sense, it's holding us. It's embracing us and we love you, Jesus. And as we partake of this bread, we are grateful that you took on humanity for us. Go ahead and partake. And I invite you to hold up the fruit of the vine, these crushed grapes. Jesus, we pause for a moment. These grapes remind us that you paid the price for our freedom. That we have a high priest that in every way can empathize with us. A high priest that weeps with his children because he so loves them. Jesus, thank you for enduring the cross, despising the shame, but doing it for the joy that was set before us, before you, which was 
which was all of us. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you for this physical embrace that we have right now. We love you, Jesus. Go ahead and partake. This morning as we conclude, I want you to know that sometimes we may not have the answers. We might, may not have the whys, but we can always know the who, that God is good, and that if we retain our faith and our trust in Him, He will unveil His power in our life. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what it looks like in many of the instances in my life. All I know is this. God has been faithful. If we have patience, he will unveil his power. So today, just with your heads bowed, if you've had some plans that have maybe gone wrong or maybe not turned out like you would like them to, whether you're in person or online, but you want to put your plans in God's hands. Just lift your hand up right now. I want to pray for you, wherever you're at. Amen. Just keep your hands up. Father, this morning, we're thankful that we have a high priest who loves us and who's acquainted with grief. A high priest that can weep with us today even though tomorrow there's going to be a miracle. God, we choose today to have patience we choose today to have faith. We choose today to be reciprocal of your spirit. That you would pour out your Holy Spirit in our life so that your power could be revealed through us, even through our pain. And we release our plans into your hands and we expect you to unveil your power. God, that you are going to do greater things than we can even imagine according to the power that is at work within us. Greater things. Thank you, God. We just ask for your Holy Spirit to fall on each one of us today in this moment. And God, I pray that there would be testimonies that would come out of this day where people released their plans into your hands and you unveiled your power just like you did with Lazarus. It would come out of the tomb. There would be resurrection power. God, we believe it and we claim it. And we all pray and we all agree and we do this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand up and worship and believe for greater things.